Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and today we are continuing with our off-season theme, Dynasty Season. want to look ahead and take a long view on basically what years of a player's career we should expect them to be a top-performing fantasy player. Now, this is not an end-all, be-all you know, strategy like we've talked about. There's no one perfect strategy, no one perfect metric. But it's a piece of the puzzle. I think we have some interesting takeaways to go over. And by we, I mean myself and none other than PFF's own Dwayne, the Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, it's February 4th. You got snow in Texas. I got snow in Ohio. Still a great day to be great, though. Yeah, uh, probably like you and I could do this podcast together like another 10 years. And we might only get that like two times, like <laughs> snow on the ground in Texas and in Ohio. Well, I guess, you know. It's mainly just, is there snow on the ground in Texas? <laughs> because it's pretty normal for you guys. Yeah, seriously. My kids are excited, though. Missed school yesterday, and they're also out today. So, you know, it, like, shuts our whole state down. And now you got to worry about the kiddos at home. My, my biggest problem is when, you know, the delivery man comes to the door and the dogs just lose their damn minds. So, you know, a little bit easier to handle than a live human kid, I would say. <laughs> a live human kid. <laughs> I am not ready to have children, everyone. But with that out of the way, Dwayne, basically, and I'm uh, sharing my screen as I'm going to try to do much more often on these podcasts, because you know what? If I'm going to take freaking what we got here, you know, 600 words of notes with some charts and shit, you know, I'm going to put them out there in some way, shape or form. And that's what we have today. So, Dwayne, I spent the majority of yesterday, which was Thursday, I think no one can know for sure, basically trying to update some uh, stats I had done a couple of years ago, looking at the percentage of top 12 or RB1s, wide receiver ones, whatever, top 12 performers at each position relative to their years of experience. So not age, we can save that for a later podcast, but looking at what percentage of QB1s over the last 10 years have been rookies, what percentage have been in the league for 10 plus years. Through this, we're going to go through each position and just talk some higher level takeaways. So let's get after it, starting off with quarterback. For those looking on the screen, I also tweeted this out on Twitter if you want to go catch up. But basically, year one, we don't see a ton of quarterback success. Just 5% of the 120 top 12 quarterbacks over the past 10 years have occurred in their rookie season. Year two, we see a nice boom up to 15%, 12% year three. After that, fairly you know middling until we get to the 10 plus years of age experience where 38% of the top 12 performers have occurred. So obviously a lot of that to do with Tom Brady. But you even look at Peyton Manning, you know, Aaron Rodgers, a lot of these guys have just been in the league for 10 plus years. And if you're, you know, as long as your arm isn't going away, we have seen these guys sustain success at an older age better than any other position. But Dwayne, let's start things off with the rookies because you can kind of see some trends here. Our top 12 rookies dating back 2012 to uh, 2021, we've only had Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, RG3, Andrew Luck, and Russell Wilson. Cam Newton also applied. He was just a couple years earlier, which makes me feel awfully old, but point for another day. All these guys had a nice demonstrated rushing floor in college, and they were all week one starter except for Herbert. Obviously, he had to come in week two after the Chargers, you know, stabbed Tyrod Taylor's lung. What a storyline that was. So, Dwayne, overall thoughts on kind of these rookie quarterbacks and these you know, on the one hand, I want to say we maybe jumped the gun last year on like anticipating Fields, Lance, even Lawrence to an extent to have, you know, such a great rookie year. On the other hand, when you kind of look at what those guys brought to the table, they did fit the archetype for what we should have been looking for for a successful year one fantasy quarterback. Yeah, I was going to say, this is definitely one of those as your wife's leaving you, you're screaming, the process was right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, I mean, we're just looking for the, the rushing floor, right? Um, and, and this goes back even way beyond like this data. Like, I won't go through all the guys, but there's there's a it's history is littered, you know, with the guys. Well, you even mentioned it here. These all applied to Cam Newton, right? You know, whenever he was a rookie. Um, so yeah, I think if you've got a guy that can, you know, run the ball, a guy that's got a, especially if he's got a coach that's willing to really utilizing him, utilize them in that facet. You know, especially with the design rushing attempts. A lot of this comes from scrambles. But now we're starting to see the true guys like Robert Griffin, you know, is a good example that Kyler Murray, you know, they were getting a lot of the design rushing attempts, which is really where our thoughts were last year. Um, you know, when you look at Trey Lance, you look at Justin Fields, those guys. Have you, Dwayne, I know you've been looking ahead to some prospects. I'm pulling up our handy dandy PFF draft guide right now. Any early leans on the quarterback class? You know, I've seen certain guys, you know, really getting uh, some rave reviews and at the senior bowl and over at the shrine bowl. I think Malik Willis was the main guy. A lot of people are looking at, but at the same time, I know it's not the most uh, hype class. Have you done enough on these quarterbacks to have a feel on who we could be looking at yet? No, I haven't done the quarterbacks yet. I've been mostly focused on the running backs, receivers, and tight ends so far. Um, but just looking at their rushing profiles, you know, what Howell did last season. And then, you know, I mean, we know with Willis, like those two guys for sure will probably come in with expectations around what they can do as a rusher. It just depends really on what roster they land on, you know, what coordinator do they get, those sort of things. Kenny Pickett and his bitch-ass fake slide. But you know what? He can't do that anymore. <laughs> Neither can anyone else. Uh, I did see a good tweet from our fellow PFF colleague, Kevin Cole, where, uh, Dwayne, you know, we were talking off the show about trying to keep each other up to date on this. But basically, Kevin found some good early research on what successful first-round QB picks have shown highest correlation with NFL success. His four main takeaways were EPA generation from being under pressure, scrambling, avoiding sacks, and going with some design runs so just some interesting information from kevin right there epa types that were more correlated with failed first round quarterback picks passing excluding sacks and interceptions clean pockets early down and play action so it really is a different game that we need to be uh trying to uh, i guess correlate between college to nfl compared to what we usually just look at in the nfl we'll continue to improve at doing just that now Dwayne, love, love kevin cole yeah. and the bucketing and the clustering you know yeah, on this show, we, we provide a cluster of this some sorts, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So again, only 5% of these 120 QB ones over the past 10 years occurred during their rookie season. We've seen a nice year two leap though. 15% occurred in the second season. That's about an average of 1.8 per year. So out of Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, and Davis Mills, you know, if history is any indication, we should be expecting roughly two of these guys to emerge as top 12 signal callers. This, we're here early, Dwayne, right? It's Trey Lance, Justin Fields. Let's get back on the horse. We're here. Or do you think one of these other guys could have something to say about that? Yeah, I think those are the easiest ones, right? I mean, just because we we know what that can do for their fantasy upside. You know, you saw Jalen Hurts last year. Like, so Jalen Hurts is a great example, right, of a year two guy that was really most of his production came through running the football. I mean, if you can get 800 to 1,000 yards rushing, I mean, you immediately add 80 to 100 points to your quarterback score. <laughs> 
right? So, I mean, it's just, it's too easy. And so when you think about this list, I think it definitely leans, you know, to Trey Lance. Uh, I mean, I think Trevor Lawrence could show a little more. Like, I, we were both, I think, surprised. Um, there was a small spurt there, like, I don't know, like early quarter, just after the it was, first it was quarter like of the right season. Before, yeah, right before their bye, maybe the first game after, we were starting well, to get some starting good to get more, yeah, the design rushing attempts. And, you know, that's something that we saw in his bag at Clemson. It's not like we're saying, you know, Trevor Lawrence is this great rushing quarterback. But, like, come on, like, we could get four to five. 500 yards rushing, you know, out of, out of Lawrence. And if he improves in the passing game, I think there's going to be a plus there. And look, here's the bottom line with Lawrence. Nobody wants him. <laughs> so, I mean, you're going to, it's a guy that's young that could break out, you know, still in his year two could give, you know, and there's, when I'm leaning into late round picks, I like to lean into more of the unknown, right? I, certain guys we know, we've seen kind of, here are their parameters, right? They could still have a career season and something where it could happen. But with these rookies specifically, there's so much more that's still unknown, meaning that there could be higher upside. And if the downside's bad, who cares? It's a late round pick. We just drop them. Yeah, that was exactly kind of my takeaway here. Like Lance and Fields are probably going to have ADPs pretty close to the top 12, you know, top 15, yeah. worst case. And deservingly so, Lawrence and I think Zach Wilson to an extent as well. Like those are going to be the guys that, hey, maybe they boom, but yeah, it's not going to cost us much to go find out anyway. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I do have- Lance a, in the I, off season, like for me, I think the way to approach him is as the news cycle ebbs and flows like all of a sudden everybody's like oh jimmy g's gonna be back and his adp is gonna drop so if you're doing best balls buy Lance, like that's buy. the time to buy right just buy him then right if he ends up not being the quarterback whatever it doesn't matter um but that's the time you buy whenever it's at the peak high hey jimmy's gonna be traded it's the night before the draft and all of a sudden lance shoots up adp then don't buy him in those drafts and then eventually we'll actually know really what's going to happen like is he going to be the starter or not and then we can really determine do we want to really embrace you know the opportunity cost versus other positions that may be going in the same range as him love this tool we have on pff.com it just shows you the fantasy finishes by week for each and every quarterback you can change it to other positions and yeah we can see what trey lance came in at halftime basically in week four still manages to put up a qb 18 performance gets his next start got taken down about an inch short of the goal line otherwise that qb 20 is looking closer to a qb 12 and you know in week 17 when he does get thrown back into the fire qb 10 look at the justin fields ones Bro, exactly. Yeah, look, and tw- I mean, you got to throw that 29 rank out. He got hurt in that game. Dude, and he got, like, right when he was starting to catch fire, too. Like, that was the worst part, you know, with Fields. And, like, he – I get he it. Catch if, you only, if you only watched his first couple games, like, you saw the ugly – the absolute ugliest part of him because, when we talked about it. He does hold on to the ball too long. We weren't seeing many big-time throws along with that. But you look at it. Last four complete starts, QB3, QB9, QB8, and QB10. Fields or Lance Dwayne, assuming obviously we know Lance is starting every game. I'm going with Fields right now just because of what I saw. I, I think he looks like the better passer of the two. I, I feel like his accuracy is better. Um, I feel like he started to gain a better understanding of the game. Now, Trey Lance is going to play in a great scheme, but now we're also going to get a scheme similar to what Kyle Shanahan runs in Chicago. So, I mean, I think both guys, you know, could be reasonable picks. I know Lance will probably be the more popular one, but right now I would say Fields showed me more. Um, The thing with Fields, if he can just learn, you know, Ian, to get a feel for pocket awareness, Right. And use those traits, those athletic traits, you know, to really 
turn into escapability. It doesn't, you know, everything was just a tick slow for him. And that's what we were seeing early in the season. But if you look at some of the best quarterbacks we have in fantasy football, they have a long average time to throw. Um, So, I mean, and some of the best NFL quarterbacks actually do the same thing, right? The more that you give coverage time to break down, I mean, it makes sense, right? You get a better chance of a guy popping free. So I think the opportunity is going to be huge for some of these broken plays and things like that for both of these guys, right? If they can learn how to stay alive in the pocket, then you escape, you get the scramble drill. A lot of huge plays come off of that. We've seen that a ton, like for Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill. And so I think there's a good opportunity with that. It's a good note where average time to throw. I also put average target depth in there. They're more descriptive. Like I mean, I, sometimes yeah. I'll. I remember I was I was at the bar like a couple months ago during the season, and I looked up and it was like Ben Roethlisberger, number one in the NFL in average time to throw. And it's like, well, that's true. I don't think it's exactly saying what you uh, want it to be saying though. And also, you could also um, kind of put that uh, PFFs big time throws into that bucket as well. I think those are you know a little more uh, indicative on what we're trying to look for in quarterbacks. But again, you know yards if they get them on a tight. 20 yard window downfield. That's great. If you get it on a dump down to a wide open running back who picks up 20 yards, they all count the same. So just something to keep in mind. Not it's kind of a how do how do they win, right? It's not necessarily yeah. can they win. It's how when they win, how do they win? Descriptive. Yeah. Yeah. Great day to be great. Last thing on quarterbacks, Dwayne. I want to check in on the guys who have been in the league for 10 plus years. And if we should just expect downturns anytime soon, because yes, 38% of the 120 quarterbacks were in their 10th year or later, which equals out to about four and a half per year. Once we look ahead to 2022, though, there are six quarterbacks who, uh, you know, just looking at it should be expected starters, but are have been in the league 10 plus years. And they are Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill, Aaron Rodgers, and Russell Wilson. Dwayne, I think we could both agree Matt Ryan sticks out as the guy from this group that we wouldn't be expecting to maybe leap back in the top 12 conversation. Who would be your best guess out of this other group between Stafford, Cousins, Tannehill, Rogers, Russ, or do you think all these guys are pretty much fine and you're not going to worry too much about their, you know, years starting to pile up? I'm fine with all those guys. I don't think any of those guys, you know, give me a huge pause as far as the fall off. I mean, you could argue with Russell Wilson since I was the only one I was rushing has been a bigger part of his game you know historically speaking but he's also had some huge passing years so but Wilson for me is more of a good god can he get out of Seattle and you know (laughs) the the freaking you know a team that runs 10 plays per half you know that's the biggest thing holding Russell Wilson back right now Um, and obviously his play and his finger and his health of his finger was a component of his play down the stretch I mean it did drop off but I don't you know I'm not concerned Russell Wilson's not an age where I think he's just going to completely fall off the map if you go back, I mean, last year, he only threw 25 touchdowns. Obviously, injuries had a lot to do with that. Previous four years, though, he was over 31 each and every time, despite being in such a run-heavy offense. God forbid, Dwayne, maybe he finds his way out of Seattle into a more pass-happy offense. I don't think it's quite time to be hating on Russ. And, like, look, man, the guys, Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, like, the true fall-off that we saw, we could kind of see it coming in the second half of the year before. I didn't see anything about Russ that was, like, athletically or arm strength-wise, he he can't do this anymore. Like, I think he's okay for at least another year. Now, are we going to get back to ranking him top five, top six, like he always was? That's another question, but I still think he's more than viable as, you know, a borderline QB1. Like if, you sent Russ, if you sent Russ to Denver, like – Man, I would be hard pressed to probably not. Have Why do they have top, to sell their team right eight. now, man? I'm getting like cold feet <laughs> on all these quarterbacks because who the hell is going to want to be traded to Denver? Because, you know, 
I'm, these quarterbacks we're talking about are going to have to okay this trade in order to be sent there. And with so much stuff going how much on, are right they really now, gonna, how much are they going to really care about that? I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how much they're going to, to me, they're going to look at it and go, I get Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, <laughs> Noah Fett, Tim Patrick. <laughs> I haven't even named KJ Hamler yet. I mean, and I get Javonta Williams and Ooh. I get Albert O. Like, seriously, is like the defense better, ready to go? Yeah. Is there a better, like, complete offensive skill group than that? I, I think that's got to be. Now, we're assuming some things with Judy and some, you know, some of these guys that haven't necessarily blown up yeah. yet. But man, like, that to me is very appealing <laughs> if I was a quarterback. All right, let's move on to running back here because this is the one where you can clearly see it is a young man's game. Between year one and year five, we're seeing at least 13% performers in each and every category. Year two is the peak with 18% of these 120 RB1s over the past 10 years truly balling out. Now, year five, which is the last year of the rookie contract for a first-round pick if the team chooses to exercise that option, or the first year you know, where they're actually able to sign a new contract or go to a different team, uh, we are still seeing 15%. After that, though, it starts getting rough. Year six, okay, we've still seen an average of 1.2 running backs per year uh, be a top fantasy performer. After that, though, 8%, 4%, 3%, just 2% that have been in the league for over 10-plus years. I think it's worth noting, too, Dwayne, like particularly at running back, but across every position, if you're still in the league after six to seven years, that means you're doing something right. So even the better running backs that have separated themselves during the course of their career haven't been able to stand up to some of the younger guys coming in and out of the league. With that said, we have seen some commonalities between the rookies. Overwhelming majority have been drafted in the top three rounds. Really, we only have six exceptions. Now, this is based on total Full game, we're not looking at per game uh, metrics here. We're looking throughout the season. So I understand some other guys, you know, were on pace to be that, but they just didn't play enough games. And we're also just looking top 12. So I'm not saying, you know, a top 15 finish is anything to, you know, uh, stick your nose up at. With all that said, the exceptions, Roy Helu, Alfred Morris, both found themselves in Shanahan led backfields. Zach Stacy was lucky enough to be Jeff Fisher and Brian Schottenhammer's uh, bell cow. And we also had Jordan Howard, Philip Lindsay, and James Robinson just basically went out in tight situations. So last 10 years, Dwayne, just six exceptions to running backs, you know, really being successful and being drafted in those top three rounds. And I'm not saying like Michael Carter was a bad pick last year and he was like the second or third freaking pick in the fourth round. So I think, you know, that's sort of small difference. Uh, maybe something to take a closer look at, but in general, man, and you know, Elijah Mitchell did his thing, but once again, Shanahan family has kind of been a trend here in general. If your favorite running back prospect wasn't picking the first three rounds, you better make damn sure it's on a barren depth chart. Cause we've seen historically those guys have a hard time getting a huge, year one role yeah i mean the barren depth chart is a is a big part of it right and injuries in the preseason can play a role in that you know but then you also mentioned you know the kyle shanahan folks i mean the one thing to look at with that and i think this is another reason folks were a little bit bullish right last year on michael carter is really that's the scheme right that the jets are running they're running that wide zone running yeah. scheme you know they want to condense things in they want to get the the running back to the perimeter they want to create the explosive plays you know on the cutbacks all those sort of things um that we've seen and if you look at the league now it's like man i mean how many of our how many of our offenses i haven't even done a count you know this is me honestly asking how many offenses now are basically rooted in either the McVeigh or the Shanahan tree, which McVeigh is an offspring, right? Really of the Shanahan yeah. tree. I mean, there's a ton of these guys. You got O'Connell, 
Um, I guess you lose the Kubiak vibe, right? Which was really the Shanahan vibe, you know, in Minnesota, mm-hmm. but you get, you know, O'Connell going there. You're going to have Hackett now in Denver. Um, so you're going to get a scheme there that's going to be potentially better. We've got to see what offensive line coaches these guys sign and, you know, hear more about like what, are they really going to run that scheme or is it going to be more of a blend of, or something new? Um, so I think the good news is, though, there are more and more viable spots that running backs can land and you can find a friendly scheme. Now, eventually, like if everybody's running the scheme, like defenses have to catch up at some point. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you would think so. But at the same time, if it is being developed, it's by been going team, on forever. I mean, this goes back to Mike Shanahan. <laughs> uh, I think it was. I think it was Ben Solak over at the ringer. Uh, he actually wrote an awesome article a couple of weeks ago about kind of McVeigh and Shanahan, like starting yeah, off, you know, kind of under the same umbrella, but they've kind of uh, differentiated their scheme um, over the past few years. Again, you can find that over at the ringer. I think the big takeaway was, you know, McVeigh, he was, you know, he still doesn't use the fullback nearly as much as Kyle Shanahan does. And then he started looking at some of the motion stuff. Like, dude, yeah. the Trent Williams in motion, I understand, like, it really only worked one of the three or four times they tried to do it. But, like, to even think about that, man, I think it just shows you, like, his, at least in the run scheme, man, on a different level, at least in the year 2022. Yeah, they're still very similar. Um, but, yes, the way they use their personnel. Now, this year, you've seen Sean McVay definitely – take more of a change. And I think that's because he knows he's got a different quarterback, right? So he's trying to play to the strengths really, you know, of Stafford overall on the offense, but yes, it's, it's just the way that it's deployed is a little different, right? You know, McVay started using the three wide looks versus, you know, with Shanahan is much more about a fullback and a tight end. You know, we've also seen variants of this with Kevin Stefanski where he really uses the two and three tight ends. Now he'll still use the fullback Janovich, but you know, he's not running the 11 personnel, um, so then we saw it this year um, with the Jets, right? They ran more 11 personnel, but I think they'll probably try to get heavier this offseason and they'll want to run something that's a little bit more like Shanahan. I think these coaches have to adapt their scheme, right, based on the personnel that's available to them. That's what uh, Mike Lombardi always kind of hated on Doug Peterson because he said he just took Andy Reid's playbook and, like, just tried to run that. Here we go. Let's let's be, uh, you know, the, the KC Eagles, essentially. But, you know, year after that, Peterson went ahead and won a Super Bowl. So I think he was uh, doing something right I mean, there. Isn't that essentially what all owners are doing? Like they're just trying to find the guy that studied the other guy that was really good. And they're like, Hey, come run that here. I mean, I mean, I don't know how that's, I don't know why he's beating on him about that. I feel like Dwayne, I mean, Dwayne, you used to have like coffee every day with Sean McVay, right? Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) Let's let's get Dwayne out on the coaching carousel. See what happens Uh, back on topic. Just a little bit here with the running backs. Just, you know, we've talked about kind of the free agency landing spots a bit already, but just based on the top five spots that depending on how things shake out in free agency, where a running back could walk in and be a potential high volume day one starter, the Cardinals, if, they decide not to bring back James Conner or Chase Edmonds. Seems kind of unlikely. The Falcons, if CPAT is able to walk, which seems pretty likely. Texans, because they're the freaking Texans. Every position on that depth chart is wide open. Dolphins, running back room, as much as I would like Duke Johnson to continue taking over. I wouldn't say that's the most likely thing in the world, particularly with a new coaching staff. And the Buccaneers, contingent on Lenny Fournette, Ronald Jones, and or Giovanni Bernard bouncing Keyshawn Vaughn not holding on to his spot so we'll have more on the landing spots as we get through free agency and the playoffs just something to keep in mind there now Dwayne the rookies through year five again they're still on their rookie contracts or they've you know just been extended a year or two on the team we're still expecting these guys to be able to put up bunches of numbers I've kind of just listed off some of the prime candidates that fit this bucket obviously not all of them are going to be uh, top you know 12 performers 
have 12 spots, but these guys should at a minimum still be, you know, in line with who we expect to put forward uh, big, big seasons just based on their experience. So these guys are Jonathan Taylor, Najee Harris, Antonio Gibson, Nick Chubb, David Montgomery, Josh Jacobs, Elijah Mitchell, Devontae Williams, Damian Harris, Devin Singletary, Saquon Barkley, DeAndre Swift, Michael Carter, and Miles Sanders. So out of those three, man, I bolted them here on the screen for you. I do think the ones that I can see being a little bit problematic in the future, Nick Chubb, because let's face it, this Browns offense is not going in the right direction. Kareem Hunt is still there. And, you know, it's just tough for these guys when you start to see this workload build up, as we talked about with Tage on our 10 questions edition of the podcast, 1,500 career NFL carries is about when we see guys start to fall off uh, just in terms of rushing yards over expected. Chubb's starting to get that Adomino up there. David Montgomery, new system, could have Tariq Cohen coming back. And, you know, let, let's face it, maybe wasn't the best running back, even in his own backfield last year. And we also had Josh Jacobs, new staff. Is he going to be someone that's, you know, ascending? Or is we going to have the new staff that didn't draft him in the first round saying, hey, why can't this guy average, you know, four yards per carry? So with that in mind, Dwayne, do you agree Chubb, Montgomery, Jacobs, maybe the guys we should be taking a longer look at? Or is there someone else out of this group that you just think, man, I get it. The age is there, but probably not looking like 2022 is going to be their year. Like, I think Chubb's fine. Like, you just have to know what you're getting. Um, like, he still, like, is in the top, like, in every metric that we care about. Like, and he's not, like, at that point of hitting a cliff, in my opinion. Like, you know, and if you look at the 1,500 carries, he's still he's still well under that. Montgomery, I like the scheme, right? You're really going to move more towards that West Coast, you know, kind of scheme. They're going to be running, you know, some variant of what, you know, LaFleur runs, um, what Shanahan runs, what McVeigh runs, you know, LaFleur is another guy off of that tree. And so looking at the bears, that's the scheme that they're going to be running, you know, without in there as their offensive coordinator. So that's encouraging to me, but I worry more about situation, right? Tyree kill, you know, um, you know, just looking at Herbert, like he played really well this last season. So that's the bigger concern for me with Montgomery. Um, Jacobs, I agree. Like he's just never been able to really, in my opinion, like, just take over. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's and, and injuries have been a big part of it, you know, for him. Um, but as far as the other guys that would concern me, I think Damian Harris always concerns me because the Patriots want to use uh, multiple backs. We still have questions about, you know, the quarterback and Mac Jones. What's he going to look like? You've got your offensive coordinator moving on. And Damian Harris is touchdown dependent, which means he's also game script dependent. So for me, a guy like Harris um, just depends on what the, the, the cost is going to be. It's very clear what you're getting when you draft a Damian Harris, but I just don't see a ton of upside. We know he's not going to take over as an every down back. Um, Miles Sanders is the other one I'm probably just out on Ian at this point. It's like I've kind of, I, I know the touchdown thing, you know, has got to eventually like shake out for Miles Sanders, but it's also a back that they had high expectations around as a second round pick and he's just never really been able to take over. So he's a guy that I'll probably just be avoiding in drafts. And again, speaking more here out of the top 12 perspective. So I hear you on Chubb Montgomery. You do have him ranked, you know, 16th and 17th, though, which I think is a good ranking. Just saying, you know, even if Chubb in particular, and with all due respect to Montgomery, but Chubb, top 10, top 12, real life back, top five. Like the market's finally going to catch up on Chubb this year. People have been overdrafting Chubb for two seasons. Yeah. Now this okay. year probably will be the year where we might be able to put him on some teams, right? Because I think, you know, folks are going to finally realize that, oh, if you don't catch passes in a PPR, I probably shouldn't draft you in the first two rounds. That's Yeah, and like I, I was on a podcast this week or something, they were like, all right, are we, are we completely done with Ezekiel Elliott? And it was like, 
Well, as a first round pick, absolutely. <laughs> well, but if he starts falling a little bit, it depends, Dwayne. It depends. Last thing with running backs here. Again, once they go on year six plus, it becomes a bloodbath. I mean, you look at just these overall percentages. 10% in year six, so 1.2 per year. After that, we are not even hitting an average of one per year, maybe in year seven. So looking at that, these are the guys that are expected to be starting, um, but are now at this point in their career where we should be kind of concerned about how many of these guys we're really going to see putting forward big time seasons. They are Christian McCaffrey, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Zico Elliott, Derrick Henry, Austin Eckler, Melvin Gordon, James Conner, Leonard Fournette, Aaron Jones, Cordero Patterson, Jamal Williams. This scares me, Dwayne. There are a lot of really good running backs in that group that I don't necessarily think are falling off a cliff. With that said, I mentioned the law of 1,500 plus pro carries. Three active guys have hit that, Ezekiel Elliott, Derrick Henry, and Melvin Gordon. Obviously, Gordon's landing spot's going to, uh, you know, really depend on things. But at a minimum, Dwayne, you know, I have not published my 2022 rankings yet, but I'm looking forward to jumping in that same, you know, dumpster fire you did by falling, uh, you know, Derrick Henry down the ranks just a little bit. Because at this point, yeah, in I, his I career, wish you good luck. <laughs> Yeah, man, here we go. Just It'll go ahead fun. and block all Titan fans right now. I'll be, I'll be getting my eye black on, you know, <laughs> putting it all over my face Rambo style. But, you know, with Henry, it's like, okay, again, it all depends on where they're going. But to actually sacrifice, you know, a first round pick on Henry in the year 2022, when we can just get a younger running back with probably a better ceiling floor combination or hell, just go get a just dope wide receiver. receiver. There we go. I think that's going to make sense, man. Yeah, and that's what people get caught up on. It's all about, okay, how can I use this draft capital? What's the macro view, right, before we jump into the micro stuff? And big picture, like you got to take all these things into account, you know, and the 1500 pro carry thing is real. Now, I do, I like Henry. I get why some people want to draft Henry because we did see this season before he got hurt, like the upside is still big. Right. He could still be like if all of a sudden Henry falls into the second round of drafts and he does what he did this last year, that could be enough to be a league winner if he's healthy the whole season. But he's not going to fall that far, folks. People, a lot of people are taking him at two and three. So that's the challenge. Do you really want to take Derrick Henry at two or three? But the guys I would say that I'm not as worried about would probably be the guys that still get the receptions or the guys that just aren't being drafted early. <laughs> so, I mean, if you see James Conner and Fournette and these guys getting pushed up to being drafted in the third round, you know, fantasy drafts, second rounds of fantasy drafts, I'm probably not going to be that excited about them. This last year, you could get Conner or Fournette where, oh, you got them between rounds eight and 10. It's funny, all this best ball analysis that is out there is basically like, if you waited till rounds eight, nine, and 10 to draft your running back, look how good you were. Well, yeah, because the two guys you were drafting were Conner and Fournette. Get rid of all the other backs you were and, drafting. And, and then it's always, and it's always followed. Like, look at this article I wrote in June where I called James Conner a value and ranked him as like the RB36. Like, freaking spam. <laughs> me yeah i told you james connor was such a value i loved him so much my convictions were so high i drafted him i I put him at rb36 but but i'm very scared of zeke i'm very scared of mixon i'm very scared of hint super scared of derrick henry um but the guys that catch the passes are the most insulated for me right so if you look at eckler hey look man i was playing techno bowl and roger craig was probably like you know 35 on that game ian and he was still giving me plenty of (laughs) Plenty of utilization, plenty of points. Um, So the guys that catch the passes are the ones I'm least worried about. Um, I know with McCaffrey, most folks are going to be stuck on the injury, but I I still feel like with McCaffrey, you know, he's going to be 26 and a half, I believe, you know, going into this next. Overall. 
Move over, Jonathan. I'm sorry. I'm going CMC number one. You going CMC? And I think they're um I think there's still a path, right, for CMC, you know, to to really pay off for you just because full season he's gonna he's gonna catch three times the amount of passes as Jonathan exactly. Taylor if they both play 17 games. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, they played the you're right. Game. No, you're you're right. That's it. And I mean, he's still. It's not like he's going into his age 29 season. You know, I want to say, and I don't have it right in front of me right now, but I want to say CMC will be 26 next season. Still got Matt Rule back for whatever reason. You know, we've seen him just Doesn't time, matter. time again. Be calling the offense. I know, but it's when it comes down to like overall usage with you know maybe your single best player. I would be a little more confident with McCaffrey compared to our Dalvin Cook, our Alvin Kamara situation where it's like, Dwayne, we need to start wondering about the Saints and the Vikings. One, could we be looking at a rebuild-esque situation? Or two, like, could Dalvin Cook this year be looking like, you know, maybe like Ezekiel Elliott last year where, okay, he is getting a little bit older in age. I'm, I'm Dalvin's better than Zeke right now. I'm not trying to open up that can of worms. But the bigger point was we did see Tony Pollard not overtake the backfield, but at least have a larger role than he had in past years. I know some of that was due to performance. Some of it was also do Zeke playing banged up but let's face it man we talked about this all throughout the year when Dalvin Cook got hurt we crossed his name out and we put Alexander Madison right there in the rankings if a new coaching staff is going to come to Minnesota man and not have you know years of draft capital and money on their mind we're talking about Dalvin Cook who let's also remember isn't exactly in the best you know news articles with what's going on off the field with him and some of the things I think Dalvin Cook's someone that we might want to be pushing a little bit closer to that borderline RB1 spot than usual. And again, if he falls to round two or something, that's fine. We'll take the running back projected for 300 plus touches with good health, like no questions asked. I'm fine if he gets down there around two. But Dalvin Cook, man, might be someone where, like, would it surprise you if we've already seen the best years of Dalvin's career? It wouldn't surprise me at all. No, we most likely have. I mean, I hate to say it, but we probably have. Could he still come through in a huge way? Could he pull off like a Curtis Martin late, you know, career Ooh. like Swan Song? Like, yeah, he could do that it. That was dope. Like, like, could totally do it. Um, but I mean, for me, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm probably not gonna get much Dalvin Cook just because I've got him ranked as my RB nine. You know, once I put him into my overall ranks with receivers and you know the elite tight ends and all those things, I mean, he's gonna get pushed down. You know, my board. Um, so look, he's another guy I got kind of cooked for, like people were all over me about Dalvin cook, Derek Henry and Joe Mixon. And now we're doing this, um, podcast and look, where do these guys all land on? They land on this list that you're talking about. You know, I do like Dalvin cooks. I do think he's a solid receiver, um, out of the backfield. So I do think that is something that potentially helps him. Whereas with Mixon, we know he gets more limited, you know, utilization in the passing game. Bro. Why did Alvin Kamara block me on Twitter? What did you do? I don't know. I've always <laughs> been this, are we Kamara. figuring this out? Are we figuring this out real time? Yes, I was going to Alvin Kamara's Twitter to see what his reaction was to Sean Payton stuff, and he blocked me. Oh, dude, what did you dude, do, dude? It's Derek Carr and Alvin. Like Derek Carr, like I almost wore as like a you know badge of honor, like pride. Like I understood it and everything. Uh, that's all. Do I need to look at Alvin Kamara's okay, I, for you? I, I think it's because when the Sean Payton <laughs> thing happened, I, I did not, I never at the players. I think that's ridiculous. But I just tweeted Alvin Kamara trade rumors or request in three, two, like one. I think that's true, man. I'm not going to apologize for that. Yeah, I'm not blocked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Uh, I've been touting yeah. Kamara, all swag RB1 for years and. I've now he says mind. here, his pinned tweet, Ian says, if you partake in things that suckers do, you a sucker too. So I guess he thinks you're a sucker. 
Oh, I'm a sucker, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Take Alvin Kamara's word for it. Wow. All right. Uh, so speaking it's of okay. See, speaking of Alvin Kamara, speaking of Alvin Kamara, you know, RB. Well, we rank him in top twenty-four, Dwayne. After after this, like this is insane. How am I? <laughs> oh, he's coming down the rankings this? right now. <laughs> Just he's purely because of this. Yeah, I've got him at RB seven right now. You know, uh, I mean, so I mean, think he'll be right there. I, I'm definitely interested to see what happens with the coaching staff. Look, here's the thing with Sean McVay. He manufactures easy touches for the backs. Now, Kamara is also really good at his job. Um, so I would I would hope that the next coach can also do that. But look, we've already we've already seen he's in a more fragile situation. Yeah. You know, the good news is I can't see another coach trying to use Taysom Hill as a quarterback. Like so that should be over. Like I, that, that was Sean Payton, just yeah. like the ultimate stubborn coach move, right? <laughs> um, you know, get him all this money. And it's like, screw this guy. This is all messed <laughs> up. I'm retiring. Like, what did I do? Um, but as far as, uh, you know, the scheme, like, man, like it could be problematic. Like the, the running backs have always been a huge part of Sean McVay's scheme. And, and that could really change now. Last one I want to talk about a little bit and just, oh yeah, real, real quick on Kamara. I was, I think I ranked him RB seven or eight last year before the Michael Thomas injury came out. Cause at that point I was like, okay, yeah, then he had, like, he had to move him up. There's only one guy that's going to get the ball in this offense, but yeah, a lot of unknowns moving away from breeze and now Sean Payton, like there's just only one ball to go around. And when we throw on the fact that he is starting to get up there in years, yeah, I mean, hey, if he gets a court, the right quarterback and they throw him 80 passes again, it's going to be impossible for Kamara to bust, but we need to make sure that's still going to be the environment he's in. Yeah. Last- Cook, will be, Cook will be 27, Kamara will be 27, Eckler will be 27, McCaffrey will be 26, Fournette, I'm just looking at your list here and look at their ages, Fournette and Zeke both will be 27, Aaron Jones, surprisingly, will be 27. That was the last one I wanted to talk about here because we also saw with Jones, man, second half of the season certainly didn't quite have the role that we were hoping for. Now, still a valuable, still a plain valuable running back. He is going to be the RB1 more weeks than not in Green Bay. But having someone like Dylan there, man, God forbid Aaron Rodgers, like uh, let's say for a second, Aaron Rodgers takes his talents elsewhere. Now we have Aaron Jones as really a, you know, 1A back in a committee in a Packers offense that we're expecting to go way down the overall ranks. I mean, Jones is definitely not someone we're going to be able to put in the top 12 at that point. And, you know, it's between him and a pretty damn good receiver, even, you know, round three or so might be, you know, looking elsewhere for once. Yeah. Yeah. For Aaron Jones, like the other, the problem is even if Aaron Rodgers stays, the top is gone. Like the, uh, the, the, the big upside potential is, is officially gone because AJ Dillon did show enough that we know this is now probably going to move to being a larger and larger committee every year. And I'm not a huge AJ Dillon fan. Like some folks, when I watch AJ Dillon, I honestly, I kind of think, meh, like, I think he looks okay. Um, I think he could, could play a role on many NFL teams, but I don't, he's not an explosive back. He's not breaking these big, long carries. He gains four really- yards, like more impressive than most other backs, but it doesn't matter. And it's not a good, like the way he does it, the battering ram that he is, you know, like you don't really want those players. We've all seen how Mar- the Marion Barber's types flame out, you know, overnight. Right. But for me, at the end of the day, he's still younger than Jones and they've got draft capital invested in Dylan. So they had a plan for him when they got there. The coaching staff is still intact. So look, the upside scenario for Jones just getting the backfield all to himself or handling 60 to 70 percent, it's gone. And, and and to your point, it's a fragile situation with what could happen to the rest of the roster. So, yeah, Aaron Jones is a guy that obviously there's a lot there's there's another shoe still to fall with what happens with Aaron Rodgers here. But at the end of the day, it's going to be really hard to take him over 
any of the receivers you're probably going to have available in the second round when you when you try to look at what are the potential range of outcomes here for these two players. Like, for example, you're not taking um, – there's no way you're taking Aaron Jones over C.D. Lamb, right? No. I mean, the, the upside for C.D. Lamb, even though he's disappointed us a little bit so far – um, I don't want to say that. Like <laughs> what Lamb's still done in his first two years is like better than what most people think. He just hasn't totally blown up yet. But when you think of range of outcomes, like CD clearly, right, has the much higher ceiling than a guy, um, you know, like Aaron Jones. And I'm not even looking at ADP right now. Those guys may be like a full round apart already. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I'm just trying to think through what could be some of the potential. Um, you know, my guess is Aaron Jones is a second round pick, you know, maybe a third round pick. And then I'm guessing CD's probably an early second at this point. You know, so I'm just trying to think through some of the young receivers you could be faced with, you know, making a decision on Jones versus the receivers. I'm just, I'm struggling to find one where I'm like, oh, it's going to be Aaron Jones. Like there's going to be a pretty long list of receivers you've got to get past first. We really drew that line last year after I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, which, okay, I get it. Didn't didn't exactly go the way we were hoping for, but it was like those 14 running backs that we were good with before uh, really going too hard at wide receiver. I think Jones is going to be, you know, well past that list. Like we are going to want to take the CDs and those upside wide receiver twos ahead of Aaron this year. Let's talk some wide receivers now, Dwayne. Speaking of the CD lambs of the world, what we see here is that rookie wide receivers, despite, you know, what we've seen from Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson over the past two years, typically don't put up the biggest of numbers. Takes them a little longer, I think, to get acclimated into the offense, you know, become a starter versus running backs. And, you know, you're the starting running back. You're the bell cow. Now we can talk about different types of bell cow, but you can be a starting wide receiver, still be a number three, number four pass game option in your offense. So I mentioned Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, only other rookies to post a full season top 12 performance last 10 years. Our guy, Jalen Waddle, Michael Thomas, and Odell Beckham. Unreal talents, Dwayne. And, you know, it's only a five-player sample, so I don't think we have, you know, a major, you know, key here to, like, unlocking the next rookie receiver. But you do look at the situations, and they're guys where, at a minimum, four out of the five, with the only exception being, you know, Tua, they had more traditional straight-back pocket passers. And, you know, I I did have Waddle. I believe I had him uh, over Devontae. I might have had Devontae Smith still over Waddle, but I think the Waddle gap in ADP was so wide, I got plenty of uh, the guy anyway. But at a minimum, man, it's nothing against Jalen Hurts. The sample we were working on last year, he had thrown for 300 yards in two of his first four starts. It was only six or seven weeks into the year that they became that uh, heavy of a run-first offense. With that said, man, I think our expectations for guys, you know, going into a system with a Hurts, with a Lamar Jackson, where we just can have a pretty good feeling about the offense being really run heavy, should probably take a little step back on our expectations for these year one rookies. Year one rookies, yeah. good one, Ian. Way to way, way to spell that one out. <laughs> yeah, it's very yeah. It's uh, in case people didn't know what they were, you you double, <laughs> you double described it for them. Well, I mean, it's a bonus on a Friday, Ian. Oh, um, yeah, and, and we just don't have the profile, to be honest, of the rookie receivers that are coming in this year. We'll get into them more, like as we start to talk about prospects. But I've watched five of them, like a ton so far, and I've looked at all of their data. Um, and I think there's some really good receivers in this class. Um, and so we'll, we'll look at it again, like when the landing spot gets here. But I think most of the guys, you know, do have some fashion, right, of, you know, an issue, you know, in their game that probably says, you know, it's not going to be someone that's going to finish in the top 12 this year. I do think we'll have rookies that are going to be in the top 24. Probably we're going to have some rookies that will be in the top 36, you know, receivers this season. Um, But just finding the guys that will be in the top 12. Typically, 
like historically speaking, right, those guys are like top eight picks. Um, yeah. So I don't know what that's going to look. Now, this is a weaker draft class overall. So we could still see, you know, a receiver go higher uh, than what we anticipate, you know, come um, draft day. Like, I don't I don't think once once everything is like said and done, like with some of these guys, though, um, I just don't see like Drake London. I know right now we've got him at 12 overall. I, I don't I don't think Drake London's around one pick <laughs> like watching him like Garrett Wilson. He's the one. Like, he's the one that maybe, like, when you go watch him just run routes, like, he's straight up just, like, clowning people, like, just everything around with them. Then he gets the ball in his hands, man. He has, like, four different speeds on his routes. (laughs) If you go watch Drake London, one one and a half speeds. There's there's one speed, and he's got a one and a half gear. It's the same gear that he also tries to use when he catches the ball and run with it. Like, it's all the same. Uh, Now, it's not to say London isn't any good. Like, he's a great contested catch guy, great back shoulder guy, great comeback guy. You get him in man coverage, singled up. Um, the biggest thing that scared me with him, Ian, is I watched all 47 of his single uh, man coverage looks versus press. Not one time did he stack a cornerback and like literally get when he's even, he's not leaving. Like if he's even, he's running a comeback route like that. And that's in college. So and that's not to say that can't be helpful. Uh, when you and I were chatting on the side, like you mentioned Michael Pittman, like I think that's actually a really good comp to for Drake London. I actually like Pittman a little bit better than I do London. But right now it's kind of a weak class overall. So some of these guys are getting pushed up the board. But kind of back to like to the to the thing at hand, like Wilson is the guy that in the right spot, like just watching him. He can run after the catch. He can get open underneath. He can get open over the top. He has all the, he's got a lot of nuance, you know, to his route running. Not like um, elite hands, but like good enough hands. Like he's not going to drop the ball a ton. Um, the next one, like for me, like so far of the guys I've really watched is probably Jamison Williams, but he's got to come back from an ACL. Um, he's a guy that looked really good, like stretching the field, you know, horizontally, vertically, beating press coverage, bigger cornerbacks that can press and get their hands on him. Like they can cause some problems definitely for Jamison Williams. But those are the guys that, you know, first pass like Traylon Bur- Burks. I think def- he has some upside, but he's got to land in the right spot. So I know we'll come back to those things later. I won't belabor them, but I don't think this year we're going to see a rookie in the top 12. If we do, and we can change our opinions, right? This is just right now. We don't know where they're going to be drafted to, but receivers have to win on their own. The guy that I've seen that most likely could do it would be Garrett Wilson. I'm with you on the Drake London pause. Like, okay. I'm not, I like Michael Pittman. I think Michael Pittman could be a third year breakout this year, which we're going to talk about here in a second. And after I said this comp, you know, I didn't even put together that both these guys went to USC. So please, before you just say Ian's a Jersey watcher and all this, like just from watching them, I saw exactly what you saw Dwayne. I think uh, it's reflected in our PFF draft guide that Mike Renner always does such a great uh, job on cons for Drake London. He lacks speed, not going to run past corners also suffered season ending broken ankle in October and did have some drop issues pros man among boys dominant physicality that will still be there in the nfl loose hips for a tall receiver and unparalleled catch radius those things are great Dwayne. but that also sounds a little bit like you know how we were talking about nikhil harry and some of these other guys coming out and i'm not saying oh, every God, do not bring up nikhil harry. i'm not saying every early round bus wide receiver is going to be nikhil harry but i would rather at this point in the year 2022 give me the smaller guy that's separating and running away from dudes over the guy that needs to be at 100 health to just dominate nfl corners that let's face it he could easily be a year or two in the weight room away from being able to do yeah. And the other thing with, with London is he was definitely the best player on his team in college, right? Which is saying a lot. Like, that's great. And USC is a really good program. But 45 um, you know, of his targets were behind the line of scrimmage, 
between behind the line of scrimmage, anywhere behind the line of scrimmage, and three yards downfield. 38% of his targets came in that range. He's not getting those looks in the NFL because he's not an elite run-after-the-catch guy. That's going to go to a different player on the team. So I think how he wins is in single-man coverage, running the comeback routes, the back shoulder uh, on the go route, those sort of th- which can be very valuable, Ian, like to an offense. But he does not scare even college cornerbacks. So I just really get concerned about his ability to scare an NFL cornerback. Uh, I think there's going to be some problems with that. I think he could be a nice fit in the right scheme, preferably in a quarterback that plays in rhythm with timing, pass-heavy offense. Um, I think those could be positives for him. So, for example, like uh, name me an elite quarterback. Like if he la- if he landed with Josh Allen, right? Pass-heavy offense that we, we know like has a, fearless, a need. We need like a gunslinger uh, attitude as well. Just real quick, London's comp, Brandon Marshall. Like okay. He had Jay Cutler, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, chucking him up, you know, contested balls. If London can get that, that's fine. But Dwayne, how many quarterbacks do we have like that these days? Man? Yeah, yeah. I think like the ultimate landing spot would be somewhere like Buffalo, where you've got an elite young quarterback, a very pass-heavy offense, and we know they have a need for a possession yeah. receiver, right? They need somebody that can play on the backside of some of these bunch formations. Now, Stefan Diggs does that a lot, you know, today, and he can win. Diggs can win at every area of the field. But in a situation like that, I would like Drake London. Like, But if he lands you know, on a run-heavy team with a cautious quarterback or a balanced team with a cautious quarterback, eh, I'm, I'm you know, playing in rhythm like Derek Carr can do that, but he doesn't want to throw contested balls. So that would probably be a problem for him. Like, just that's ask, why we just see ask the T.O. slash Randy Moss, you know? Yeah, also known as Brian Edwards. <laughs> 7% targets per route run versus single man coverage sorry brian edwards wrong team buddy my god yeah had a uh, article go up on pff last week where i looked at the available targets coming into all these passing games and just kind of wrote out the early top five potential either trade destinations for some of these guys you know the calvin ridley's of the world or you know a nice spot for a receiver to be drafted into in the arizona cardinals like literally everyone other than hopkins and rondale moore are free agents kyle murray pretty damn good quarterback will he you know force things or feed one receiver to the extent that we're looking for maybe another problem but just in terms of available targets not a bad spot Chicago Bears assuming Allen Robinson's leaving really just leaves them with Darno Mooney and Cole Komet Justin Fields year two leap you could imagine Kansas City Chiefs Patrick Mahomes enough said Los Angeles Chargers replacement for Mike Williams that could be a decent spot for Drake London ends up being Justin Herbert's number two for years and maybe just maybe the Tampa Bay Buccaneers if Kyle Trask or whoever is worth a damn purely because we got Goblin Gronk and Fournette three guys with over 80 targets last year potentially taking their talents elsewhere all right Dwayne the third year boom at wide receiver. That's one of the things that jumps off at this chart. 17% tied with year five wide receivers as the highest, you know, single kind of year of experience mark that we can expect success. So out of this group, we should see at least two of these guys, Justin Jefferson, duh. After that, though, Dwayne, we got Darnell Mooney, Michael Pittman, Van Jefferson, C.D. Lamb, Brian Evers, K.J. Osborne, Chase Claypool, Brandon Ayer, T. Higgins, Gabriel Davis, and Jerry Judy. Name one or two guys out of this group that you just want to be especially high on. And look, I know you still got to see how these depth charts go. If the Bills decide to not draft anyone, see a Beasley, see Emmanuel Sanders, Gabriel Davis is going to be far up there. But otherwise, man, kind of seems to me like CeeDee Lamb and then why not Michael Pittman could be the year three boom candidates. 
Yeah, and in today's NFL, a lot of these guys are typically breaking out in year two, which is really like, you know, and we don't even have to have Justin Jefferson on the list. He's, he's already done a right. double breakout, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I think Mooney showed something this year, you know. I think he took another step forward that people didn't anticipate. I agree, Pittman's more of a dark horse um, just because he doesn't he, he doesn't have as many outs to a big season, right? It's right. really all got to come through volume. Like he's not going to also help you out with a ton of big plays if the volume doesn't come. Whereas a guy like Van Jefferson is going to be more dependent on the big plays. We know he's not going to overtake Cooper Cup, right? And if you get Robert Woods back or you keep Odell Beckham Jr., like he's got issues on the depth chart. So I mostly agree with what you have here. I think that C.D. Lamb obviously is a huge one. Claypool is a really good one. Ayuk we like. I think he's a good player, but man, like just the scheme, the run-heavy nature, two other uh, targets. That, get that was with work. Jimmy. It's going to be even worse with Trey. <laughs> it probably will be even worse with, with Trey. Uh, and T. Higgins, like I consider, I mean, look, Higgins and Lamb have already broken out, but I think those are my two favorites on this list. I think my next guy would be Jerry Judy and then Gabriel Davis. And, and I'm going to actually write a pretty big piece on this. Like I've, I've got like the bones for it done. I don't know when it'll be. Probably here. It'll be before... Um, the NFL draft or sometime right around there. Um, but it's going to really look at, okay, receivers that didn't break out in year one, you know, or two, yeah, but did in year three, that kind of thing. And like, what were the things, what were kind of the indicators? What were the things that we saw? And then what are their comps? You know, that kind of thing. Like, so which guys might we be able to look at more this year? Um, and most, all the guys you have on this list will be like part of the article and like, what do we think? But I, Lamb, man, I really love him. Like it's, it's kind of a, it's an interesting argument, right? Cause a lot of people will argue that it was the scheme and that it was Dak, but at the same time, there's also like, you know, if you're a quarterback and you're back there, like, don't you just, I mean, why didn't he just throw it to lamb more? <laughs> like, I don't get it. Like, he's like, Oh, and I've got Dalton Schultz, Dalton Schultz, Dalton Schultz. Like got to get me that, you know, two yard rack. You know, I went back and like, even it had me so like baffled. I went back and like studied all of Dalton Schultz, like college stats. Like, nope, nothing, <laughs> nothing to see here, folks. Just move along. I don't know what's going on. Oh my God. Yeah, man. And like Schultz, I can even see Schultz maybe coming back next year to the Cowboys, but then not doing anything the same because I really think they entered the year wanting Blake Jarwin to be their leading receiver, but Schultz was to his credit, a little more complete. And then Jarwin ends up getting banged up again. So we are your previous year three breakouts, Ian guys that didn't break out in year two. Okay. And when we say breakout, it's top 12, right? Well, right. You kind of the definition you've given. So I got it pulled up here. You got Brandon cooks. Didn't do it in his first two seasons. Did in year three. That was in New Orleans. Then you got Calvin Ridley doing it in year three. Injuries were a big part of it for Calvin. He, he might have had it. He might have had the potential breakout before that without injury. Chris Godwin. What happened? New coach came in, um, put him in the big slot. You know, with Djax's left, Humphreys left. Yeah. Nice. So you had tar- you had targets open up. You had an ascending player who got put into a great spot. And historically, we've always seen the big slot work out well, right? Ridley, I know Ridley didn't play the big slot, but he did benefit too from Muhammad Sanu leaving, and they just didn't even really address it. Yeah, and it's kind of a combination, right? People leaving doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to be great. But if there are other good players that can demand targets, and you also demand targets that you're having to share – Right. All of a sudden, there's less people demanding targets. Nobody else steps up, but you still demand them like your target share increases. Yeah. Like, so it's kind of, it can be chicken or the egg kind of an argument, but you have to be talented on some level to earn these targets. But here's another one Cooper Cup broke out in year mm-hmm. three. 
Um, he, he had a top 12 finish. People forgot all about that, right? And that was in 2019. Uh, you had Devontae Adams, who finally did it, you know, in 2016. Deontay People Johnson? Already, uh, Deontay Johnson? No, he must. He was a year two guy, I guess. Okay. I don't have him in this, in this list that I have sorted. Um, Hopkins was a year three, top 12. Okay. Demarius Thomas, Des Bryant, Eric Decker, uh, Hakeem Decker. Hicks. All of these guys got their first top 12 finish um, in their third season. Got a couple more here. Kenny Galladay, Mike Evans, Michael Thomas, Mike Wallace, Percy Ooh. Harvin, T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, so obviously Jefferson's already got there. So, okay, Mooney, Pittman, C.D., maybe Claypool, Higgins. Did Higgins already get there? No, but. No, he's close. Very close. Uh, well, did he? I have to go look over. I don't think, I don't think so. You didn't get top 12. I'm sure it was like 15, 16. Okay. He was up there. He was getting close, but yeah. Make sure you keep an eye out for Dwayne's uh, year three boom candidates. And uh, I got my money on no mentions of LaVisca Chanel in the entire article, unfortunately. <laughs> now, Dwayne, looking ahead. He's going to have to be mentioned now. Like, <laughs> and it'll be his own paragraph and I'll make it like a thousand words. And it'll just be the names of all the players that have to move out of the way for LaVisca <laughs> to, and, by, and also the Jaguars cannot draft the following receivers. <laughs> 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 so again, a wide receiver, like it's not like running back where we see this, you know, big time decline. You know, we st- still see double uh, the amount of wide receivers in year eight compared to running backs putting up big seasons. With that said, there still is a decline. There's, you know, players get older. And unless you're a really, really good quarterback or a tight end attached to a really, really good quarterback, you're probably going to see your performance start to suffer. So here are the wide receivers, you know, going into year eight or later that could be on decline. Now we still see about 2.4 of these players per year find their way into the top 12 with that said we do need to start uh, looking a little bit closer at them I think because the age is starting to get up there so pure beasts Stefan Diggs Devontae Adams Mike Evans Keenan Allen Antonio Brown pretty damn tough to have a problem with Diggs or Adams if they're going to remain attached to these quarterbacks with that said, Dwayne, Mike Evans now might have way too much volume to even worry about this because even if we are seeing him decline, if Goblin's out of the picture and they don't make a real investment there, even without Brady, man, if Evans is looking at 150 plus targets, going to be awfully hard to fade. Keenan Allen also attached to Justin Herbert, Antonio Brown. Well, we'll see what happens there. So I don't think any of those guys necessarily have major cause for concerns because Evan, Evans would be the one for me. I want to hear that he gets moved inside to the slot. Okay. <laughs> That's what I want for him at this point in his career. Like, so if you look at him in his age 22 season, 29%, you know, adjusted target share. So that just gets, you know, he played 15 games. So I'm just adjusting for the game you missed. And if you look at age 23 season, 29%, but then it went down to 23%, 22%, 22% at his age 27 you know, season 17% and whatever he had last year. <laughs> so, which is probably around 16, 17%. So like, he's definitely been, you know, on a steady decline. So he does worry me. Um, I, I would like to see him, you know, if you get Chris Godwin moving on, like, I think the slot like, could like be a huge help for him with a guy like Keenan Allen, he still gets to play from the slot, you know, a ton, you know, and so he's not having to go vertically down the field. So I worry less about a player like Keenan Allen also, Keenan still has his quarterback intact, yeah. which is a great thing. You know, Evans has still got to figure out like who's going to be the quarterback throwing him the ball. So that could be problematic as well. If they bring back Godwin or like a first round receiver, yeah, Evans definitely falling down the ranks. There is still a pathway for him though to get an inefficient volume was my point. Some guys 
best days, I think, could be starting to get behind them. Amari Cooper, Brandon Cooks, Tyler Lockett, Adam Thielen, OBJ, Cole Beasley, Allen Robinson, DeAndre Hopkins, Bobby Trees, Robert Woods. Love that. His teammates actually call him Bobby Trees as well. That was a fun little uh, fact from Cooper Cup. Also, Devontae Parker and Jarvis Landry. Dwayne, out of this group, which of these guys are you kind of most confident in, uh, you know, continuing to just put up big numbers? I mean, hell, Amari Cooper, you know, even though he's been in the league eight years, still just, you know, sitting at a young age of 22 years old. So maybe could, you know, still have some big years ahead of him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm a little worried about Amari just because he never truly became an alpha anyway. Like he's always just kind of been like right there on the border of being one, despite all the traits and everything we saw in college, you know, saying that he should have been. Um, but I think of this group, the one I have the most confidence in is probably Tyler Lockett because of the scheme that he plays in, the way they use him. They play him inside in the slot. He gets a lot of matchups against linebackers and safeties and these deep overs and crossers. It's just such a mismatch problem in the scheme. Like, I feel good about him. Now, he needs Russell Wilson, you know, to stay. And he's obviously still going to have some boom bust to his game because he always does. That's just the way this thing works. But guys like Landry, yeah, the role he plays, he could probably still continue to play, but it's not like a guy we're that excited about drafting anyway. Devontae Parker's always hurt. Uh, Robert Woods, we now have an injury on the books, and Cooper Cup has completely taken over. I think I'm okay still with Hopkins. I'm going to look at this as really being an injury-riddled season. Like The bottom line is, though, like once these guys start to get to this age, any one of them really are a candidate to start to drop. Like I did a study last year, and I... I need to go back and redo it because I did it based on their breakout. And then I did their N plus season from their breakout. Well, you and I were just talking. Some guys break out in year three, some break out in year one. I can't even remember why I did it this way because I guess I'm just an idiot. But anyway, like looking at the N plus six season, one, most receivers don't get there, right? So there is some survivorship you know, bias. But when you start to look at it, like here are the guys that made it to their N plus six season of their breakout and their target shares. And these were guys that are all, you know, up in the 25% range. So if you look at, um, some of them are probably on this list, but Macklin in his N plus six season, age 29, that helps. There's some reference. Like he dropped down to 16% where he had had a 27% or just two years before Josh Gordon dropped down to 12%. Julio Jones, who we just, he got to his age 31 season before we really saw a decline, which was his N plus seven season. Um, but he had, you, you listen to his 28%, 20, these are target shares, 26%, 31%, 27, 27, 27, then down to 23 in his age 31 is where his cliff started. Um, Keenan Allen's still good. Michael Crabtree, it was really his N plus six season yeah. where it started to fall off. He fell down to 20%. He was in his age 30 season. You got Mike Evans, we already mentioned. Odell Beckham Jr., is that's where it started for him. He dropped to 20%. He had been at 24%, 27%, 27% the years before. So, I mean, we have a lot of guys on this list that are getting towards this. Uh, Randall Cobb, he had already dropped off. Uh, that's it. T.Y. Hilton was the other one, where his was actually in his N-plus-6 season, two, where he started to drop off. So, But the average target share like across all these guys I just named, and they're all between basically 28 and 30 years old, 18% across all of them. And these are guys that used to demand 25 to 30% target share. So even though these guys can continue to play, like their upside probably isn't quite what we thought. Like another one we would add to this, what, this last year we saw was Allen Robinson. Like yep. he completely just face planted. And I think it's a, enough of a reason, man. Again, 
not you don't need to shape your entire draft rankings by all this, but it's a pretty good tiebreaker, man. Like if it's pretty close between one of these guys entering year eight or nine and someone entering year three or four, just take the younger guy. You should particularly in dynasty. Yeah. Guys that you think are going to play similar roles that have similar abilities. You should tier them by age. You should have a, a tier of say 10 players and then say four of them are under 25 years old. They should be at the top of that tier. They've just got more upside. Now there could be extenuating circumstances, right? That make you change that, um, you know, the, I know better kind of stuff you got to work through. But overall, if once you group players together, then you should immediately move the younger guys to the top of that group. Do not be afraid to be an ageist in fantasy football, everyone. Now, handful of guys that just definitely... You guys are drafting Ian, not (laughs) Dwayne. Definitely (laughs) seem to have lost a step here. Marvin (laughs) Jones, A.J. Green, Emmanuel Sanders, Sammy Watkins, Julio Jones, and T.Y. Hilton. Anyone here you're exactly expecting a bounce back from Dwayne? The only one that I could even somewhat see is if everyone is just like, all right, Julio, you're done. And he's like, ends up like in the late wide receiver, 30 wide receiver, 40 range. Like that's the only kind of scenario that I'm seeing here. Yeah. I mean, it's super, just take a flyer kind of thing at that point, right? It's not costing you anything in your draft capital. You're just making a bet on an old dog that, you know, like is one (laughs) of the best ever, you know? So look, everybody likes to have a bet like that, you know, put down, but I I mean, I think ADP is going to be so reasonable on all these guys. You know, if there's a reason that you're telling yourself you want one of them based on the situation they land in, they're going to be so cheap. It won't matter. Knock yourself out. Go have fun. Go have fun, kids. Go have fun. You want. Tight end. Uh, we don't need to spend too much time on this. Basically, year one, you need to be, you know, just a complete, you know, quote unquote, generational talent. Gronk did it back in 2010. Evan Ingram got there, but Evan Ingram got there because OBJ like broke his ankle four games into the year. And then he ended up being the featured number one target on a bad Giants team. And also Kyle Pitts last year. Those are literally the only rookie tight ends we've had. I see Trey McBride, you know, tearing it up, uh, you know, all, all the clips that, you know, Twin. On the sidelines of like the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl, was it literally just like 50 analysts with their phones like pointed out on the field? Like the people actually talk at these things or is it just one, you know, phone clip after another? So, you know, with McBride, I know it's going to be sexy to get behind him, but no, just don't do it. I can't even really think of a situation, Dwayne, where I can get behind a rookie tight end this year. I did just write an article on something close to the matter. So maybe I should address that a little bit, but in general, Dwayne just fade rookie tight ends. It's worked for us almost every single time. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a tight end in this class. We don't have a Kyle Pitts, you know, and and we both love McBride. Like we've had our, our DMS on the side where we've talked about him and, you know, how good he looks like all the metrics stack up really well for him. Um, And again, ADP is where it matters. Like who knows? Like if if he's being taken, I I think right now, like on underdog, like he can basically be your last round pick. You want to do something like that? I think that's fine. That as he starts, he's, this is a guy that I guarantee you is going to pick up steam between now and the NFL draft. And then depending on what team he lands on, like he could totally get steamed heading into draft season. There were some situations where, yeah, as a complete late flyer, okay. The uh, Arizona Cardinals, Zach Ertz and Max Williams are free agents if they both leave. Uh, Again, mentioned before, kind of the allure of the target in that offense because of how many available targets they have. Los Angeles Chargers, each of Jared Cook, Steven Anderson and Donald Parham are free agents with the Giants. Evan Ingram's a free agent. Kyle Rudolph really didn't stop him from playing a full-time role, and they can also get out of that contract if they want to. With the Seahawks, Gerald Everett. 
Everett and Will Disley are free agents. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Gronk, and OJ Howard as well. Cam Bray, they've been in it. They've been able to get out of that like $40 million contract for the last five years, and they just keep on paying Cam Bray money. So good on you, Cam Bray. Just real quick, uh, Cowboys. No year two, no year two boom candidates, Ian, here on the list. Like I see third year. Hold on, hold Man. on. I'm just Second? going. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just going through these situations and we can get to that. Cowboys do need to re-sign Dalton Schultz, but Blake Jarwin is going to remain on the roster. We'll see what happens in Green Bay. Robert Tunyon is a free agent. Texans, like any other position on the roster, you can imagine. Bengals could lose CJ Uzama, but like Uzama was this year, you know, whoever the tight end is going to be will be the number four pass game option in the offense. Jets could be losing Tyler Croft and Daniel Brown. That'd be, I think, maybe the most interesting one. If for some reason the Jets decide to, you know, go high draft round with the tight end you could see them getting a role sooner rather than later and finally Mike Tosicki could be on the move from Miami basically a big slot receiver anyway but Durham Smythe also a free agent we'll see what that offense looks like in 2022 but Dwayne as you brought up real quick on those like remember to survive and in one of the schemes that gives you the best looks against the linebackers and safeties which is that Shanahan scheme like you typically have to be able to block as well. So people talk about Kittle being a great athlete, but he's also an, he's a great blocker as well because they like to run the ball so much. So it's just me. It's a it's it's pretty rare to find a guy that can do all of that like what Kittle does. So it it I, I like the places you name, but a lot of those like slot type tight ends like Gasecki, like he's not really a great fit for what they want to do. If they want to really try to make everything be based off of their run game and play action, like it's great for the matchups for the tight ends, but you have to be able to run block. And who knows, man, Chris Herndon's a free agent. Like he could just go take any one <laughs> of those was, uh, starting. And everything would come back to Herndon. Full hour and like 20 minutes. Yeah. we got our first Chris Herndon reference. You mentioned though, Dwayne, there has been a nice little bump from year one to year two. Again, just 2% of the 120 tight end ones were rookies. 9% occurred in year two though. 18% in year three. So Dwayne, like talking about the year two booms, this is, this is just your way of wanting to bring up Pat Fryermuth, right? Yeah, I think Fryermuth is one for sure. I mean, we saw him start to do that this past season, you know. So I, I, my biggest point is, like, just with these tight ends, we do start to see it more in year two now. It used to always be later. But you get a few of these. So here are the names. Here are all the year two names um, that broke into the top 12. TJ Hawk, Hawkinson, Noah Fant, Mark Andrews, Dallas Goddard, Mike Gusecki, George Kittle, David Njoku, Richard Rogers back in 2014, Ooh. Travis Kelsey, Kyle Rudolph, Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham, and Aaron Hernandez. Those guys all broke out as your two guys. Quickly bringing up just our rookies from last year. But, I mean, look, Kyle Pitts is going to, again, be incredibly high, as he should be, um, you know, in the overall ranks. What what do you have him, Dwayne? Tight end four? Uh, Yeah, I believe I've got him at four right now. Hang on. I'm flipping over to mine. After Pitts, I think Pat Fryer. Yeah, I've got him four. Okay. And, you know, what did, did Frymouth actually finish the season with more top 12 finishes than Pitts? That was such a fun uh, storyline when it was happening. After that, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, Dwayne, I saw this the other day. I got really excited. Guess who's a free agent in Carolina? Uh, who's the – oh, so are we going to have Tommy Trembles? Tommy Trimbles Trembles. 
<laughs> Tommy Trimble. Tommy Trimble. <laughs> Ian Thomas, unrestricted free agent. Now we've seen in the Joe Brady offense, they were not using their tight ends at all. Maybe just maybe Tommy Trembles, our guy, has the speed, has all the athletic stuff you're looking for, and we know he can block. Maybe just maybe, Dwayne. And I don't want to attach him to Sam Darnold, but hey, we've we, like, we want to find the next Dawson Knox. I know he was a year three guy, but. What a fun and good offense. If the Panthers can make a serious quarterback upgrade, Tommy Tremble could be that guy at the end of your draft that you just end up looking up after week one. It's like, oh, this is an every down starter in a decent enough passing game. Major athletic profile. Like, so he's definitely got that going for him. Um, also has the fact that, you know, Terrace Marshall pretty much, you know, just stumbled out of the gate. Now we could see a ton of 11 personnel. You're going to have Ben McAdoo there. Ben McAdoo was run 11 personnel. 11 personnel wasn't cool. He didn't do anything else good, but like he was running three wide receiver sets like at a time when the league didn't really want to. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see. But if if Trimble, yeah, is in a scenario where he could be on the field all the time, like that's that's like the first criteria, right? Can you be out there for 80% of the routes? And then the next thing is, okay, great. Can you get to like 18 to 20% targets per route run on your 80% of routes. If you do, most often you're going to be top five tied in. Next year's going to be pretty flush in the top five. Um, you know, I don't see any guys that I'm really concerned. Oh, could they be in the top five? I feel pretty good about all the guys that we have there. But like just outside of that, right? The guys next year will most likely be the guys fighting for like, you know, six through eight or six through nine, somewhere in there. Trimble could, you know, have a chance to, to make some noise. Brevin Jordan would be the other one that I would say, you know, there's a rookie only being 22 years old heading into next year. He flashed at certain points this year. Um, Didn't get, you know, all the playing time we would hope for, but again, tight ends, it's tough to come in and play a ton of snaps as a rookie because a lot of it comes back to strength, being able to block, do all those things. So we could see more from Brevin Jordan in year two. And Dwayne's 2022 early ranks, number one, Mark Andrews, two, Kittle, three, Kelsey, four, Pitts, five, Waller. We do see Pat Fryermuth sneaking in there at tight end eight. And if Gronk retires, like we're thinking, Pat Fryermuth, top seven tight end in the year 2022. Got to love that. Now, Dwayne, we talked to some of the second year guys. What about the third year boom candidates? There's Cole Komet, Adam Troutman, Joseph, oh man, Josiah Degura, sorry, Albert O, Jawan Johnson, <laughs> Harrison Bryant. Komet, I think, is someone that we can all agree on. And I, you know, people, I've seen some people give Komet like that he, he, like his next broken tackle will be his first joke, which, okay, we can laugh about it. But like, I a lot of tight ends like that, though. That's what I'm saying. A lot of tight, tight ends like that. The biggest thing for Komet, man, is you look at this roster, he has a legit chance to be the number two pass game option in this offense. And he's at least, at least shown us some level of ability as a receiver. And we already know he can play every single down. So, yeah, new coaching staff coming in. We got to monitor some things. But Komet and maybe just maybe a post hype Troutman seem like the top two uh, potential 30 of booms here. Yeah, I, I like Komet. Like, I've got him at 14, you know, right now in my ranks. Um, I'm actually excited about the scheme that's coming in. And Komet is a guy that we've seen be able to play in line. He can stay out there to help with run blocking. He can also be out there, you know, um, you know, in situations where they're going heavy down by the goal line. So, I mean, it's – he is one of the guys that has a chance, like, to be on the field enough that, like, no matter what the play call is, they check out of it, check to something else. He gets the right look. He can be on the field. So – I do like him. Um, again, it's like you mentioned, third-year guy. Um, targets versus man, targets versus zone are all steady, so it's not like he's just good in one particular area. Um, 
And I'm just, it's the other part is like, just looking like at the rest of the guys, like, again, I like to lean into unknown a little more, like the further you go in drafts, you know, it's like, you're, you're just looking for the upside. And when you start talking about, you know, some of these names that he's down around, you know, I just feel like Comet is the one that's probably the youngest, right? Out of them that gives us a chance at a ceiling that we probably know at this point, some of these other guys don't have. Now, Dwayne mentioned before, but quarterback and tight end, this is where we see actually a large, large percentage still thriving 10 plus years into the league for tight end. 20% of the 120 uh, tight end ones over the last 10 years did have at least 10 years of experience under their belt. The four main qualifiers coming up. And again, we should expect at least, uh, you know, two to three of these guys to potentially turn in a top 12 performance. Travis Kelsey, duh. And then Zach Ertz, Gronk. Well, again, I'm just anticipating him retiring. So removing Gronk from the equation, Kelsey, Ertz, and Jared Cook. Now we need to see what happens with Ertz and Cook in free agency. At a minimum, Dwayne, at the Cardinals, and, you know, you trade for the guy midseason, I would think that they're kind of in the driver's seat to re-sign Zach Ertz. It could be awfully interesting. I know Ertz got a lot of his production done without having DeAndre Hopkins sharing the field with him. At the same time, man, he was the overall tight end four after joining the Cardinals in week seven the rest of the year. Again, Waller was hurt during that stretch. We got some bye week, you know, fuckery going on uh, with that and everything. (laughs) With that said, Dwayne, Zach Ertz, if he returns to Arizona and people are just like, Zach Ertz, he's old, man, that could be the nice late round option. I'm not sure if he would even make it to late round, though, because, again, he did have a nice little stretch there. Yeah, once he got with the Cardinals, like the, the numbers we talked about, like came to life. You know, his his routes run per dropback surged to 83 percent. That fueled seven top 12 finishes um, over, you know, that 12 over a 12 game stretch yards per route rank. You know, I mean, yards per route run, yards per route rank, yards per route run, we're back up nice, you know, 1.42, which is pretty solid, you know, for a tight end in 2021. And he posted, you know, Ian, a career high, 4.7 yards after the catch. Right, all off that one, like, chunk 50-yard touchdown he had in the first game, but that's great. Hey. Look, I, I just took it as when you bleach your your hair blonde, <laughs> like you, add, you you add another gear. Like that's my takeaway. That's that's the correlation that I see. So, yeah, with Ertz, look again. You talked about it. Like these guys can play a long time. And think about it. Like they're playing against a lot of zone coverage, playing against linebackers, playing against safeties. You don't necessarily have to be able to run away from from these guys. You know, a lot of it comes down to just being on the same page with your quarterback. These little subtle movements and being on that same wavelength seems to be just such a huge part of being a tight end. It Gronk could keep playing. He should. Like, in my opinion, like Gronk should keep playing. Like, yeah, it's, I know he's probably like, I'm not the Gronk I used to be, right? Where you, you could just destroy any kind of coverage. You could you could play against cornerbacks. Your run after the catch was so elite. But man, like he's so he's still really good. Like I think he's the best free agent tight end available, despite the fact you know that he'll be 33 years old, um, because of all the things we just talked about with Ertz. But I think that Gronk, you know, just give he's a bigger player, bigger wingspan, better hands, still a better athlete than Ertz. But yes, I'm interested in either one of these guys. Should they land in the right situation? I think Gronk's still good enough in to be you know, a secondary option on most teams, not the primary target, but like the second target. He could easily be the third target on almost any team. And then if you look at Ertz, 
you know, I think he could still be a solid second target or a good third target, you know, just depending on the landing spot, just doing the things we talked about, not trying to be a hero, like what you're going to expect out of uh, Kittle, what we expect out of Pitts next year, Waller, Kelsey, you know, Andrews, those guys, he's not going to do the things those guys are going to do, but he could still get open, keep the chains moving for an offense and be a good friend to a quarterback. I liked in your, uh, tight end article, Dwayne, where you analyze the top three agent tight ends available. You had, again, you know, your top tier category, Rob Gronkowski, actually the only solid secondary target in most offenses. That was the tier one went through, you know, tier two, tier three. And then we got to, yeah, tier three, just former first round picks, Evan Ingram, <laughs> OJ Howard, David Njoku. I ran out of and steam and I'm like, what am I going to call this tier? What oh, these guys former first round picks. <laughs> What's funny is the article, like I actually had like five other names. I was like, I'm not writing about all these guys. These four are first round picks. And so like, we know that draft capital matters, right? In the NFL, you keep getting your chances, you know, but the, the thing is with, I don't, if you got on that article, like you can show people like, dude, look at all of the age 33 plus, you know, fantasy finishes. Like that's a long list since 2011, minimum 50% routes, basically to get rid of injuries. Right. But I mean, I know to top the the list, you got your guy, uh, Jimmy Graham, but the ranks to the right. Right. So it's not like it's just top 12s, but look at all those like Delaney Walker um, at age 33 had a, a tight end four finish. You got Jason Witten with a tight end nine at age 35, uh, you know, keep going down. You get Jason Witten tight end eleven at age thirty-seven. He came back. Yes. And it was all right. Ben, look, Ben Watson getting on the list twice in 2015 and 2017 at age 35 and 37, you know, with two top 12 finishes. So the, the moral of the story being like at tight end, like you can really get up there. Like you, you got multiple guys here with top 12 finishes at age 35 or higher. That's the thing. I mean, I remember uh, when I tweeted out this chart, some people were like, oh, like this is just a Brady and Gronk are the two guys highlighting it. It's like, okay, uh-huh. Brady, at least for quarterback, good chunk of them. But even then, man, we see the same thing at tight end. Like, there's just a lot of older players. Look at Tony Gonzalez, dude. Like, I, I mean, I <laughs> wrote this thing, one, and going right? back and looking at it, I'm like, 2013, he's third, basically he's 38, and he finishes tight end two. Tony Gonzalez. Finishes boy. tight end two at age 37. Finishes tight end four at age 36. I mean, if we're rounding the ages up. (laughs) Antonio Gates had some nice ones too. So, I mean, look, it's like the elite guys keep playing. And Gronk has definitely been one of our elites. So, and Ertz is right there on the cusp of, you know, he wasn't quite in that elite class, but really good for a three to four year stretch. So I think both guys could still be good for fantasy and it's one position where you don't have to lean into the youth as much, right? Maybe that's an edge you can use. Like you, you spend your your early picks, you know, really grabbing up all the youth at receiver and running back, right? And you can wait on tight end and know that you can still use these guys that get older because we have multiple data points saying that the guys that were really good can continue to play well, well into their 30 years old, you know, 35, up into 36, 37 year seasons. I want to remind everyone, if you've enjoyed articles we brought up, the ranks, the tools, anything like that, from now until February 14th, you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use code SUPER25. Also got betting dashboards, PFF, NFL Green Line, NFL Draft Guide, and so much more. Again, support the pod. Use promo code SUPER25 for 25% off any sub. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at DraftKings. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook. 
Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the Super Bowl 56, 21 years or older. See DraftKings.com for details. Full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call the TN Redline, 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777. In New York, call 877-8-HOPPENY. Shout out to Western Southern. The Fantasy Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, plan to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Dwayne, I watched the big short last night for like the third or fourth time. And I don't know, man, you know, maybe I should get more financial advice from Western Southern than Hollywood movies, uh, you know, based on like 15 <laughs> years ago. So just an idea there. Team up to understand needs and address goals with the game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Finally, shout out to our friends over at Manscaped. This Valentine's Day is time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below the waist grooming with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com, use code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. Ian, are you in the pantry? Yep. Mom's basement. <laughs> chilling. Like, you look like you're in a pantry. Chilling in Columbus. I got pa- awesome. pantry stuff over one shoulder and my candle making supplies. I think I, is that uh, a, is the a other. pepper shaker back behind you? I don't know. What I'm, is that? I'm trying to look through without turning my head. I can't really tell either. I need glasses too, Dwayne. That's the other uh, problem going yeah, no. on here. Like I used to see. I, you, you might be moving down into a tier with Dwayne. Well, no, I've like, I've had glasses since I was like in fifth grade, but once I uh, quit my consulting job and I didn't need to like see a board from across the room anymore, I just stopped getting them. And now I just look at a screen all day. My eyes are worse than ever. And I don't even have contacts or glasses like when I want to go to things. So I'm a A plus squinter though, Dwayne, like up there with, uh, you know, Jameis. Costanza level. Oh, Costanza yeah. and Jameis. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! All right, yeah, that's gonna. Much older, I just have a bunch of stuff I don't understand, like my daughter and all her friends. It's it's Among Us like stuff, so I don't know. Like, you got like it's, it's, it says Baca, it says you're sus. I don't know what any of this means. It's probably like really bad stuff that's now like on the air on PFF's YouTube channel. It's it's a mix of uh, <laughs> what you're like future article ideas and random notes from. Uh, oh, my show. article ideas get erased off of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness all right everyone hope you enjoyed uh this edition of the pff fantasy football podcast again trying to keep you know longer term macro dynasty view throughout these uh february months here we'll have plenty of free agency draft goodness on the way as well Dwayne and i'll be back at least two times a week you know throughout the offseason it's, it's always a great day it'd be great Dwayne. i love talking about football uh with you and i hope the listeners you know can tolerate it as well anything else you want to get off your chest my friend no, man, I, I will say, though, like getting to dig into these rookies is a blast. Yeah. Like just watching them like last two days, like I've just been watching as much film, you know, as I can. So super stoked, like I've been taking my notes and then matching that up with all of the unique data and stuff that we have. And so we'll start to be able to package those things together and put together some shows talking about the rookies and what's coming. I know I've been getting a lot of DMs from different folks asking about it. So we're definitely grinding on it. And I'm excited about what we're going to be able to do. Stay tuned, everyone. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, take care, everybody.